Well, if you brought a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I would invite you to find Romans chapter 8, the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. How's that for a statement to start off? Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We'll put the text up there for you here in a moment. In fact, here it comes. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty good start, isn't it? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Someone has said that if the Bible was a ring, the epistle to Romans would be its precious stone. And the eighth chapter would be the sparkling point of the jewel. John MacArthur has written, it would be impossible to be, I'm sorry, it would be impossible not to be changed after internalizing the truths contained in Romans 8. I agree. In fact, Romans chapter 8, this this. This chapter is so magnanimous, we're going to take a whole month to go through it. And, in fact, I love just the bookends. The bookends of this chapter are enough to just send shivers through your soul, shivers of joy. The bookends go like this. The first bookend says, if I'm a follower of Jesus... I am no longer condemned. And the second bookend says, if I'm a follower of Jesus, nothing in this world can ever separate me from God, from His love. Those are two great bookends. Would you agree? If I asked you, what what chapter in the Bible speaks of the new birth, you would say, John chapter 3. If I asked you, where is the Olivet Discourse found? You would say, well, that's in Matthew. You'd say, that's in Matthew 25. If I asked you, where is the Sermon on the Mount? You'd say, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If I asked you, where's the great rapture passage? You would say, well, that's, in, that's easy. That's in 1 Thessalonians 4. If I said, where is the theological argument in the Bible for the resurrection? You would say, well, the gospel's all recorded. Yes, but where's the theological argument? You'd say, 1 Corinthians 15. And if I asked you where the great theological argument of 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and His work in our lives is, you would say, right here in Romans chapter 8. Until now, the Holy Spirit has only been mentioned four times in this epistle. But in the first several verses of Romans 8, 19 times, He is clearly the subject of this passage. And in John chapter 14 through 16, Jesus, just before he died and went, and went to heaven, he gave a discourse on the Holy Spirit. And in that discourse, he taught us that the Spirit of God is a real person and that he will come. And when he comes, he'll teach you. And when he comes, he'll comfort you. And when he comes, he'll guide you. And when he comes, although he's with you now, he'll be in you then. And Romans chapter 8 really solidifies that truth. Romans 8 addresses the Holy Spirit's power, the Holy Spirit's life-giving properties that he places in the person who places their faith in Jesus. It talks about his his ability to adopt us into the Son, into becoming sons of God. It speaks in Romans chapter 8 as well uh, of his affirming ministry, the Spirit who witnesses to our spirit. That we are the children of God, if indeed we are the children of God. And this passage of Scripture even deals with his intercessory work, where he actually brings us to God, just like the Lord Jesus. He is a person. He's not a force. A force, he's he's not a force or a power. He is forceful. He is powerful, but he's a personality. You can't lie to a force, but you can lie to the Holy Spirit. In fact, Peter said, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, you've lied to to God, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve a force, but you can grieve a personality. And the Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you've been sealed unto the day of redemption. Only a personality can truly comfort, and he's a comforter. Only a personality can talk, and according to Acts chapter 13, he speaks to the disciples as he begins to, you know, direct them along the paths of their ministry. As we've been going through the book of Romans, we got to chapter 6, and we told you then that from chapter 6 through chapter 8 is dealing with the doctrine of sanctification. You can't really separate these doctrines like theologians try to do cleanly, because they all sort of interconnect. Uh, the doctrine of salvation is inextricably tied to the doctrine of sanctification because sanctification occurs at the moment you're saved. There is, it is both an act by which God separates us unto himself and it's a process by which he does it through the rest of our lives. And that's why Romans 6-8 through 8 is so much a part, or should be so much a part, of the believer's life. If you default anywhere in the Bible as a follower of Jesus, you should default back to Romans 6 through 8. And so, this passage of Scripture, for all of its ascribed glory, now listen to this, because this is going to disappoint some of you. Oh well. This passage of Scripture is not practical. Did you hear that? Paul is not going to tell us all about the Holy Spirit and then lay out 25 ways to live and walk with Him. He'll do that in other passages, but not here. If you're in Ephesians 4, Paul says, Are you a liar? Stop lying and tell the truth. That's practical. Are you a thief? 
Do you have fast you know, fingers, whatever? Stop stealing and do something good with your hands. That's practical. Do you have a problem with your mouth? Are you constantly swearing or cussing or speaking down about somebody or gossiping? He'll tell you, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it might give grace to the person who's listening to you. That's practical. And that's not Romans 8. Romans 8 is factual, not practical. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't some practical applications that come out of Romans 8. I mean, there are hundreds of applications, hundreds, virtually hundreds of applications that can come out of this passage of Scripture, and we'll take you through a few of them and let you make up the rest. But this is so glorious, God wants us to internalize the truth of this passage about the Spirit of God so that you can rightly apply it to your life and His work in your life. Someone has said that the Holy Spirit is God's provision for holy living in the Christian life, and they were right. But this shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us. Even long before the Spirit of God was you know, really clearly spoken of in the New Testament, The prophet Zechariah said that when it comes to doing something for God, it's not going to be by your might, it's not going to be by your power, but it's going to be by my spirit that things are going to get done. It's always been that way. And it is now, it ever will be. Now, you either have the Holy Spirit or you don't. You don't have some of the Spirit. You either have Him or you don't have Him, which means you're either saved or you're not saved. Another clarification, you never get, now listen to this, as some heretical theologies and churches teach, you never get more of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. You don't piecemeal a person. It's not like filling up your tank at the gas station. You don't ever get more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can get a lot more of you. And that's what the Bible means when it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means to be completely controlled by him, but that's another message. One more thing about the Spirit of God, and that is, this is something new for the believer in Jesus Christ. When the the Spirit of God comes to live within you, something new happens. You are a new creation, the Bible says. What he does give you is something very new. It's so new it will open your eyes to look at the whole world differently in a new way. And you'll look at this world differently. So what I want to do is just give you two, just two, as we begin to delve into this text. Two things that will happen if you come to Jesus Christ. Just as those testimonies you heard in the baptismal and the ones you ought to listen to later on that were in the first service. If you would become a true follower of Jesus Christ, here's the first thing that you should know would happen to you. First, you'll come into a new position in Christ. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. No condemnation. 
When he says there is therefore, the word therefore, the antecedent to therefore is chapter 7 where Brad preached last week where he ends up, he's so frustrated because the things he wants to do, he doesn't do the things he doesn't want to do. He does, oh, this wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? Praise be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll deliver me. He'll give me the victory. And it's in the light of that, he says, now there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that, if there's no condemnation now, which is what the first verse says, right? That means there has to have been condemnation then. That also means there has to be condemnation in some of you right now. To be condemned is a serious thing. And it's exactly where some of you are right at right now. You stand under condemnation. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, and you know the words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world, verse 17, to condemn the world. Listen to this. But that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in the son is not condemned. But the one who does not believe in the son is, watch this, Presently condemned, condemned already. Why? Here's why. Pretty simple. Because you haven't believed. And the only begotten Son of God. That's why. In fact, if you didn't get it there at the very end of the chapter, he solidifies it with these words. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe in the Son, watch this. Not only will you not see life, God's wrath remains or abides on you. Those are serious words. In fact, so serious, Paul picks this up in Ephesians chapter 2, and he says that if that's you, you're in the realm of the lost, the realm of the wrath of God abiding on you. If you're in that realm, then Paul says that you are, quote, by nature, children of wrath, unquote. That's serious stuff. The greatest theologian this country ever produced was right when he said, the wrath of God on the wicked is as intense as the love of God to his saints. That's where being in Christ comes in. In Christ is like, you know, think about being in. We like being in, don't you? We like to be in. We like to be in the in crowd. You're in. You know, you're in, with, you're in the know. You're in with someone. It speaks of a, a, a special sphere, does it not? You're in, by, and, and the, you know, by implication, the, the others are not. In Christ, this phrase, in Christ, is exclusively Pauline. I mean, it's what Paul says. He, in fact, he uses that term, in Christ, in every single one of his epistles. You're either in Christ or you're in sin. There's no other way about it. And if you're in sin, you're still in that realm of wrath that I referred to. In fact, to be in Christ speaks of a realm. It speaks of a position. It speaks of a place of safety. Indeed, safety. Paul says in Colossians that when you believe, he says he he delivered us, watch this, from the realm, from the domain, from the place of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. 
That's a different realm. That's going from being under the wrath of God to being under the blessing, the light, the light, and the joy of God. This is, this is so important for us to get a grip on. The understanding of what it means to be in Christ. You're in the safety zone. To really appreciate it. To deeply appreciate it. In fact, when... I don't know how... I don't know if Russell Crowe is going to... How he's going to fit you know, the biblical Noah. But I'm going to find out. In his upcoming movie. The Ark that Noah built is a perfect illustration, and the Bible makes it so, of what it means to be, to enter Christ and be in Christ. You know the story, God, the world is so wicked, God's going to wipe it out with the exception of eight souls, Noah and his family, and he builds this monstrosity of a boat, this ark, handling all of these animals, and at the right time, God busts forth, he He comes in with rain and thunder and water coming up from the earth and coming down from the skies for 40 days. The entire earth over the the highest of mountains is destroyed. With the exception of those in the ark. The ark raised that family up above the destruction. And before it did that, Noah getting everybody in there, into the ark, which the Bible says is a picture of Christ, he grabbed the door and hoisted in and shut it tight, right? No, that's not what the Bible says. It says once Noah was in there, the Lord shut him in. This is a picture of what happens when you truly place your faith in Jesus. You are safe in Christ. God protects you. This is the meaning of what Paul said in Colossians 3 when he said, if you're in Christ, he said, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Did you hear that? If you have died with Christ, you have been raised with Christ. This is what Romans has been talking about. Your life then is hid with Christ in God. That's a pretty good wrapping, what you say? That's safety. So it doesn't matter. Listen carefully. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you will humbly come to Jesus, and like the thief on the cross right next to Jesus, place your faith in him, you're still going to die. You're still going to die, but you'll die in Christ, which means you're safe. Breathe easy. You're in. And by the way, and you'll no longer suffer condemnation. The wrath of God is no longer upon you. This is the reason why I so despise the message of Joe Osteen. And I don't want to make jokes about his pep, you know, Pepsi didn't smile anymore. Because in his attempt to bring happiness to his hearers, he robs them of joy. The joy of the realization that you have been rescued from the realm of wrath and darkness and hell and separation from God. When you realize that you've been snatched like a brand from the fire, whew, that's a good thing. 
I'm safe. No longer condemned. You come under and into the everlasting arms. Your eternal God becomes your refuge. Underneath are the everlasting arms to hold you. So, the first thing, again, you come into a new position in Christ. And this is the last thing I want to share. In verses 2 and through 4, you'll be subject to a new law. And here it is. The spirit of life. Look at it. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now we've learned what the law can do. It makes one conscious of one's sins, right? It condemns those who have ignored it can, uh, the thunderous warnings of the law. It reveals our problem, it is, it's, and yet it's powerless to save us. The law of God can't save you. It's rather like a mirror. Just the other day, I, I met with two ladies, a couple, another guy and me met with two w- women who have been coming to our church under massive conviction. I asked them, why? what's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? What's the purpose of the law? They said, so that we can know how to know God and walk with God. And I said, well, what does Romans 3.20 said? They look at the passage. By the law comes the knowledge of sin. Is that what the, the scripture says? And, they, and suddenly, it was like a light went off. No, it just makes us conscious of our sin. That's right. I said, the law is like the mirror you looked in when you got up this morning. You didn't like what you saw. Your hair is all disheveled. Maybe some makeup that didn't get washed off the night before. So what do you do? The mirror has revealed the problem. So what every one of you women did, you took the mirror off the wall and you scrubbed your face with it, right? Ridiculous. The mirror's only intent is to show you the problem. It can't do anything about the problem. That's what the law does. It condemns us. It can't save us. It shows us our problem. But it can do nothing about it. Only Jesus can do that. That's why he says in verse 3, he says, For for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law is weak. Our flesh is weak. You know it. I know it. Our experience verifies it, right? Jesus said as much to his disciples on the night before he died. He said, listen, wake up. The spirit is willing, but the, the flesh is weak, right? And back... When he fed the 5,000, he said to those disciples and all those who were listening, he said in John chapter 6, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. Did you catch that? The flesh is no help at all. Let that sink in just for a moment. Paul, in this passage, has introduced us in verse 2 to a brand new law. Look at it. He calls it the law of the spirit of life. Now, I know this is not familiar jargon to us, but it should be. What this is talking about is, is how the Holy Spirit applies the virtues of Jesus, His righteousness, to our lives when we humbly and totally 
from our hearts, receive him. And what happens at that moment is, is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, applies those virtues, Jesus' virtue, his, his sin-killing death and his life-giving resurrection are given to us at that very moment. And you are then at that moment set free. That's aorist tense. means once and for all, you're free. From the law that now binds you to this realm. And that's where some of you are at. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, For God for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Watch this. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. Why did He do that? Well, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here's, here's what he's saying here. Jesus put on a suit of flesh, the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus was never sinful. He was God. He becomes a person. He wraps himself in flesh. He experiences everything you and I experience, except he never sinned. Tempted, yes. Sinned, no. That's what the word likeness is all about. But as he did that, he did that, and here's the reason he did it, because you can't kill God. God is a spirit. You can't kill a spirit unless the spirit becomes human. This is exactly what Jesus did. This is what the writer of Hebrews meant when he said in chapter 10, verse 5, sacrifice and offering you didn't want, but a body you prepared for me. God prepared a body for his son so that he could wrap himself in flesh and die. This is what Jesus did. In order to kill sin, God himself had to be killed. He alone could deal sin a death blow by experiencing death. And the only way that could happen is if he took on flesh, which is exactly what Jesus did. Thank you very much, Lord. The work of Jesus on the cross provided the avenue for the Holy Spirit to produce. Now watch this, because this is all going to make sense in a minute. The work of Jesus on the cross and his subsequent resurrection from the dead is provided the Spirit of God the avenue to create a new law in you. The law of the Spirit of life. There's only two laws here. There's the law of sin and death and the law of Spirit of life. Let me illustrate it with this, okay? We're going to make it just as simple as we can, all right? So here we go. I got a couple of balloons here. These are you, okay? Two balloons. They look alike. Would you agree? But these balloons have two different laws operating inside of them. They have two different laws, two different elements. One has helium, the other oxygen. The law of oxygen is a number eight on the element scale. The law of helium, number two. 
The difference between helium and oxygen, whichever is which is which here, the difference is atomic mass. But of course you knew that, right? The law of oxygen has an atomic mass of 16. The law of helium has an atomic mass of 4. Hence, helium is lighter than air. But you can't tell by looking at these two balloons, can you? They both look the same. If we could look inside, it would not be apparent to the naked eye. Now, this is exactly like you and me. Every single one of us have a law within us. But I can't tell by looking at you. I can't tell by looking at you. Whether you have the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus or the law of sin and death. Can't tell by looking at you. Even Jesus one day said to Nicodemus, he said, you know, the wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it. You can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. But everyone who is affected by the Holy Spirit is changed. So we all have one law or another inside of us, operating inside of us. But it's not necessarily apparent by simply looking at one. How would you know? How would I know by looking at you? Whether you are indwelt by the law of sin and death, if you have the law of sin and death, you are incapable of pleasing God. You have only one way to go, down. You might be religious, you might go to church, you've been baptized, a hundred other things, but the law of sin and death is still inside of you. And you might have the law of the spirit of life inside of you, which we just read, sets us free, helps us grow, lets us get closer to God. How would you know? How would you know what law? How do you know what law abides in you? Well, it's simple. The one that goes up. The one that goes up versus the one that stays down. If the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus abides in you, everything's been taken care of for your progression in the faith. And Jesus wrapped himself in flesh so that he could kill sin in his flesh and give to you and me the life-giving principle of his own life in you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who provides it. So judge for yourself. Does the law of sin and death abide in you? Or does the law of the spirit of life abide in you? I can't see it. But God does. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the stories from the baptismal of death and resurrection that you have applied to individuals' lives. Thank you for your word 
And thank you for your Holy Spirit, who when we place our faith in you, Lord, you, he places us into the body of Christ where it's safe. No more condemnation. And we thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, for this new law that operates in the lives of those who know Jesus, the law of the spirit of life. And if we have life, Lord, we live. And if we live, we change. And if we change, we start to look more and more like Jesus. We ascend rather than descend. And we thank you, dear God, for the sin-killing death of Jesus and the life-giving resurrection of Jesus. I pray for those who are here, Lord, of whom the law of sin and death still resides. Your wrath still abides. And they're afraid. They're convicted like grace who shared earlier. Their sins are starting to bother them. And if that's you, you would say, I, I want to believe in Jesus. I want, I want that life-giving principle. I want my life to be changed, my heart to be changed. Then humble your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive him as your Savior. And the Spirit of God will come in. You'll no longer be condemned. You'll be in a good place. Our Father, teach us today by your Holy Spirit. And save those who are apart from you right now. And may those of us who truly know you continue to walk in sanctification with great appreciation of your great love and the power that you have placed in us no longer to descend but to ascend for your glory we pray in Jesus name Amen